Welcome to Hashtag Finance. I'm your host, Barrington Miller. I'm here with Gary Kaminsky from Acreage. Um, Gary and I have a unique history uh, of meeting that fateful day in September. Um, so I was at the National Cannabis Bar Association in Washington, D.C., and I was sitting there at lunch. I don't know if you remember this. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm sitting there at lunch. I was talking with uh, somebody, a private cannabis company, and you were two tables over. So we were here, me and this person, and you were two tables over sitting against the wall. And and as we were talking, you moved closer and closer and closer. And um, and then you introduced yourself, but you weren't at Acreage. Right. That's um, correct. Where where were you working? I was at a firm called Mainline Investment Partners, which is a private equity fund that has a cannabis investment program. And your your big thing at the time was compliance. Right. Well, I am a lifelong compliance geek. I've been in the business 30 years. Um, started as an SEC enforcement attorney. So when you start your career busting people for insider trading, it gives you a certain bent in terms of compliance and regulatory. And I've worked for proprietary trading firms, uh, started my own hedge funds, and really always operated in regulatory intensive strategies, uh, but none quite as intensive as cannabis. What's it like being on the other side? Because as everybody knows, cannabis has had a very uh, negative stigma attached to it, mm-hmm. and you worked for an agency that, um, a government group that would view that as <laughs> not legal. Um, now you're on the other side. How does? Well, look, it's interesting. It's it's. I've been on the other side, so to speak, for a lot of years. Um, I started at the SEC, and then I, you know, I used to say I um I used to bust criminals and then I represented misunderstood businessmen and now I am one you know but you're a misunderstood <laughs> businessman <laughs> but the fact is is that it's very it's a great discipline because you realize that regulatory enforcement is not uh, is not so much of a science as it is a, a relative art and it's a elephant gun shooting a flea it's not surgery which really means that when the regulatory spotlight is on you it's on you in a broad way, and it tends to do investigations and fact-finding inquiries that can really get involved with a lot of things that aren't necessarily illegal but have the appearance of impropriety. So you really learn that if the line is here, you want to be back here because if you're at the line, you're going to be investigated, and many times the investigation itself is devastating. And in the case of a public company, for instance, the news could be devastating, even if you didn't do anything wrong. Now, if I remember correctly, you were operating in Las Vegas. No, no, I was based in um, Philadelphia, is where this particular firm that I was working with uh, was. They were based out of Philadelphia. Oh, do you know what? I'm thinking of... uh, You're thinking of MJ Biz, Biz, where we also saw each other, right? Um, So just so people know, like I said... This relationship has got started in September, uh, where I met Gary. He called me in October, I believe, to let yes. me know that he was making the switch or was about to make the, the change to acreage. And then we saw each other in November right. at, uh, at MJ Biz in Las Vegas, and we'll discuss that later on. Um, for, for people that may not know, what does acreage do? 
Well, we are an MSO, a multi-state operator, and we operate cannabis companies across the United States. We're in soon to be 19 states when pending an acquisition. Uh, we operate cultivation, processing, and dispensaries. And um, it's a very interesting way to do it because we being in 19 states, we are subject to 19 different jurisdictions, which is unlike Canada, where we're basically having to know and navigate 19, and in some cases, a multiple of 19, because it's not just the state, it's the localities as well. Are you able to say which ones have been, I guess, easier to deal with, easier to operate in, and which ones have provided some uh, enhanced friction? Well, I, I don't know if I would characterize it as necessarily enhanced friction, but some of the jurisdictions are brand new. I mean, North Dakota, for instance, we are the first dispensary in North Dakota uh, where they uh, allegedly have only 100 patients in the entire state. So, you know, when you're dealing with that kind of thing, it's much newer than, say, an Oregon, where it's been not only medically approved, but recreationally adult use approved for many years so that the the actual facilities are extremely different now because and i just thought of this because north dakota is so new wouldn't that be an advantage for somebody like acreage as far as affecting the direction or local policy or having a say as to um how this thing should operate how just a just a voice. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I I do feel that the unique thing about cannabis and compliance that was different from where I used to come in the securities business is your your relationship with the regulators are much more collegial, um, and we are in essence establishing a partnership to roll out a brand new industry that is incredibly important, particularly on the medical side, to the constituents of the state. So, but we also are both learning as we go because the regs are brand new and just the concept of selling a, what is under federal law, a controlled substance uh, to patients is something that I think we're all experiencing. Uh, speaking of federal law, how was your travel here? Did you? No issues whatsoever. Um, I didn't necessarily highlight that I was going to a cannabis-related business venture. I mean, when I cleared customs, they asked me why I was here, and I said for business. That was it. And uh, that leads me to my next question, CWAG. Mm -hmm. This is why you're here. Tell us a little bit about CWAG and um, what's going on with that uh, that organization. Well, I think, I think that the CWAG concept is extremely important, and what it does is it brings together the most important constituents in the United States from a regulatory standpoint. It basically is, is, is anchored by the attorneys general of the states, and of which obviously there are 50, um, although I think there are only four here, a representative sample. And it, it also involves the MSOs and some important kind of government affairs type lobbyists to try to not only be a think tank for cannabis-related issues, but one of the issues that we're really focused on is hemp CBD post-farm bill and how we can help drive the regulatory scheme um, and give the FDA, in this case, and the USDA, uh, the comfort that we are, in essence, self-regulating 
um, and helping them figure out how to do this. I had a chance to sit down and listen to a few of the presentations yesterday, um, and we were talking about this beforehand. Uh, there is a whole new black market developing for CBD um, under the guise of hemp uh, that has to do with um, <clears throat> when, when it's declared, when it's in, inspected, uh, 30 days before, um, which of course can result in a THC spike and uh, people are transporting it across borders and uh, all sorts of that. So we'll, uh, we'll definitely have to keep an eye on that. Um, right now, uh, let's talk a little bit just about acreage. I know that you're operating in 19 states. What's been your experience as a U.S. cannabis operator? Well, I, I think that the opportunity for me, as you, as you described, where, you know, when I was presented the opportunity to head up legal compliance at acreage and really put my stamp on uh, a, a nationwide program, it really is something I jumped at because... What we're doing is creating regulatory enterprise risk management infrastructure, whole cloths. And the thing that I found most impressive about what Kevin Murphy and his team have al allocated their resources towards is building an institutional enterprise. We have um, a very impressive C-suite. We have an impressive group of senior managers. Um, we have a very strong legal department. Uh, where we have five lawyers and two compliance people um, and two paralegals, which I think is very unique for this industry. But it shows the commitment to do it the right way. And as you know, we also have a very illustrious board where we brought on Speaker John Boehner, Brian Mulroney, Bill Weld, and other very uh, established executives from large U.S. corporations um, because we are building a company for the long haul, but building an institutional type, which was somewhat unique in the cannabis business. When uh, we had the opportunity to attend an event in January, I believe, and one of the speakers was talking trends for 2019, and it came up mergers and acquisitions. Um, is that an acreage's forecast? Yeah, no, we're a very acquisitive company. I think it's a, it's it's not a... Uh, a well-kept secret, so to speak. And as a public company, we don't like to have many secrets. But we are very much interested in having the largest footprint in the United States and identifying the types of partners that we can work with, uh, that we can bring under our umbrella and build out a nationwide program uh, for, um, for cannabis. And one of the interesting transactions that we're about to close um, uh, – is Form Factory, which was a co-packing business um, out of Oregon, which is um, taking cannabis business to a much larger level. If you I, and, and frankly, I didn't understand co-packing until I visited their facility and was very impressed. But basically, in the United States, which and I assume all over the world. When you buy a, a, a jar of ketchup or mustard, mm -hmm. it's not made by Heinz. It's made by a co-packer who then has a recipe and puts a label on it for Heinz. And then maybe for Safeway, they put a different label on with a different recipe. But all of it's made in the same place. Form Factory is doing that in the cannabis business. And that's a very exciting thing for us as a company as we build that out across the country. 
What are some of the challenges of running a compliance program uh, as a multi-state operator? Um, it is a 24-7 challenge uh, because unlike where I come from, which is the securities brokerage, the hedge fund industry, which is very uh, compliance oriented. I, I thought you were going to say Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> well, Buffalo, that's a separate discussion. Um, but unlike that, where compliance is kind of a part of the business, but it's almost like you check the boxes, you have internal procedures, you have a compliance manual, maybe you do audits. Compliance permeates all aspects of the of the cannabis business. Um, everything we do is compliance, from turning on the light bulbs to to basically harvesting our plants and getting rid of our waste. Every aspect in some way is addressed in the regulatory scheme and is frankly under scrutiny. So because of that, um, it gives a compliance team and person not only the opportunity, but the challenge of being involved on the business side. And it really tests your ability to do what I believe a good compliance person needs to do, and that is facilitate lawful money making. Now, there's been discussions of compliance in a box with other industries and other sectors. It doesn't seem like this could ever be applied to the cannabis industry or, or no time in the foreseeable future. Well, I mean, I've never been a, a, a necessarily an advocate of, of compliance in a box, so to speak, because um, I don't believe that compliance or regulatory generally is a is a if you're talking about, like, say, for instance, software is a software as service business. It's a software with service. I think compliance always requires human intervention. Um, you need tools. You need reg tech tools. Um, you know, I talk about it in terms of regulatory enterprise risk management, which really is a multidiscipline approach. Yes, you need very strong legal regulatory, but you also need operational. You need finance. You need risk management. You need reg tech. And in our business, you need government prognostication to make sure you understand which way the industry is going, what may happen, and what is happening in order to effectively and holistically run a compliance program. Uh, since you mentioned it, politics, government, um, I guess there's no uh, – we, we all know who's running the show uh, south of the border. Um, how's that been? How's that affecting – Acreage, and where do you see perhaps the next administration, the current administration? I don't know what's happening down there. Um, maybe you have some insight. Well, you said we all know who's running the show. I was going to ask you if I could see the show <laughs> because I'm not so sure. And I think the biggest example is the Farm Bill, which is a very interesting uh, microcosm into the regulatory scheme because here you have a bill that's uh, signed into law in December of 18 where people all of a sudden said, oh, this is great. Hemp is now legal. That's well, not, that's, that's not the, not the case not by any stretch, because no sooner was Donald Trump's signature dry, but the commissioner of the FDA came out and said, we got this. And we, we don't believe it's lawful to infuse CBD products into foodstuffs and transport it across interstate lines. Therefore, we need to regulate this and the USDA as well. So 
in that area, it's very gray right now um, and unclear what's going on. Certainly, we believe as a firm, and I know Kevin, our CEO, has said this a lot, that we're very um, optimistic that the state's act will pass, which if that were to pass, would take it out of the realm of federal unlawful activity and allow each state to promulgate rules, um, which is a good thing. But again, don't ask, uh, you might get kind of thing. Then you've got potentially 50 different states and jurisdictions and laws and regulations that you're having to deal with. But I do believe ultimately that's where this will go and probably should go. I think it is a state's right type of thing. But we certainly devote a lot of effort to government affairs. Um, we have Nick Etten, who's just an incredible resource as our government affairs head uh-huh. to really navigate every state and what's going on. I can see this being a huge task, being in, uh, operating in almost 19, 19 states. Um, you brought up a point when we were talking off uh, off the record, I guess, <laughs> yesterday. Um, creating a regulatory infrastructure in a federally, federally illegal and evolving business. That is... <laughs> I, I don't even know where I would begin with that. Um, well, you, you imagine the challenge because, I mean, if you start from the premise that arguably everything you're doing as a business is illegal, yet we are a multi-billion dollar enterprise with stock that's traded on your exchange every day, hopefully a lot of stock traded on your exchange. Mm-hmm. And we have constituents of public shareholders who we have fiduciary obligations to. And we have over 400 employees that we have obligations to. Um, and with uh, the, the Controlled Substance Act scheduling of marijuana as a Schedule One drug, you've got issues about banking. Uh, you've got issues about um, 280E, which is your ability to deduct certain costs in connection with your business. And then you have to, you have to really navigate around that because in essence, particularly in the medical marijuana area, we have some cover because there is an amendment to the budget that does say that the Department of Justice can't use funds under this budget to enforce firms that are appropriately and legally operating under state regimes. Well, if you think about that, that puts an enormous amount of pressure on us to ensure that we are legally and appropriately operating in that state regime, because that is the protection of sorts that we have from the federal uh, uh, illegality. But you also have, you know, people who still don't really appreciate the true value of this medicine. And they think that this is, you know, Cheech and Chong. And you, when you tell them you're in the cannabis business, they look at you askance. Now, that's changing dramatically because this is an extremely fastly becoming legitimate uh, business. Um, but it's, it gives you challenges when you're dealing with people. And um, it also, the types of people that are gravitating to this industry from an employment standpoint, 
um, and is is <clears throat> creates a challenge. But it's also a, a, one of the great parts of this business. The social equity part is the the ability to actually employ folks who may not have been otherwise able to get employment elsewhere in a business that they're passionate about. But you still have to train them to deal with it in a compliant way. Our CEO, uh, Richard Carlton, and VP, James Black, uh, they were in New York for a Can of Gather event. And the social equity piece, um, I guess being being in Toronto, working for a stock exchange, not necessarily interacting day by day um, with, with some of these different parts, um, the social equity part really came through when they went to this event. And... Um, it's something that's out there and it's another piece to a ever evolving puzzle. Um, and you also mentioned the new type of people that are coming into the business. It's not the same. This isn't the same space as it was five years ago or six years well, not ago. Not at all. Not at all. Um, and, you know, we had an event in Toronto called uh, the first one, I believe it was called Green Rush. And it was a cobbling of everybody from, uh, from your stereotypical uh, cannabis recreation users to stock exchanges showing up to see what's going on. Um, and then, of course, we are now going to MJ Biz in Las Vegas. What was it, 30,000 people, mm-hmm. foot traffic? Um, it, it's it's really changing. And the, and the management teams that are coming into some of these, some of these companies, extremely... Uh, professional, extremely experienced, um, like take <laughs> like yourself. Um, it's it's exciting to see what the next five years is going to look like as well. Well, it's a very complex business, and people don't necessarily appreciate that till you go and walk a vertical. Um, you go and visit a fifty thousand square foot grow facility. And then take the tour into the processing lab, which is a scientific lab with PhDs doing all kinds of relative experiments and processing um, the plant into all types of different materials. Then you take it to the next step to go to the retail dispensary. And you realize how complex it is to execute on this business strategy, particularly because everywhere along the line, you have very strict state, statement of work um, and SOPs, um, standard operating procedures that you need to follow in order to not only be effective in business, but to comply with the laws. So I think that you know, getting the people trained, overseeing them, but getting people who are passionate about what they're doing. And particularly in the medical field, when you see some of these patients and the relief and the um, rewards that they get from getting this medicine, when they have been taking opiates and all types of different medicines that have given them not only no relief, but no way of life, you realize you're doing something special. It's um, it's good that you... Uh highlighted the patient because they are uh, one of the most important groups in all of this. Um, I was listening to uh, CEO John Fowler from Supreme and he consistently reminds people about the patient and uh, yeah, it's something that needs to stay at the forefront. And and getting hearing the stories of the folks who work um, on the front lines in the dispensaries um, and it's not what you would think, even in um, in a medical 
dispensary, you think that people are just getting cards so they can get their weed. When in fact, like 70 to 80% of the people who come in have never been users of the product and have been, are very infirmed. And then seeing a week, a month, several months later, the improvement in their way of life, even if it's the last kind of leg of their way of life, um, is is incredibly gratifying for the people who work there. Well, I, um, I on that note, it's. Uh, I would like to thank you on behalf of the Canadian Securities Exchange and myself for taking the time to uh, to stop by the office. I know it's. Uh, I know you can see Buffalo uh, <laughs> from the window, um, and we'll definitely have to link up when we're in New York next. Well, thank you for having us, and we're we're honored to be on the Canadian Securities Exchange. Oh, what's your trading symbol? ACRG.U. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Gary. Okay, thank you. Hi, it's Grace from the CFC reminding you to make sure to follow us on social media for the latest updates on our listed companies as well as new listing alerts. For more in-depth content, be sure to pick up our free quarterly magazine, Public Entrepreneur, available online at thecfc.com. 